If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. This is a very special episode because it is our first time having a repeat offender on the show. This man has already been on as a guest. This is his second appearance. He's the first guest to return. Uh, and it, it seems fitting that it is this man because out of all our amazing guests from series one, his episode was not only one of, if not the most downloaded and viewed and listened to, but also probably the most enjoyed. It was a real fan favorite. It was an incredible episode. It was definitely one of my not just favorite podcasts of this show, but of, of any interview I've ever done. It was a beautiful, brilliant chat with a wonderful man. And uh, yeah, I'm thrilled to have him back on. Before we get him on though, Jesse, we have some thank yous to say, don't we? So why don't we lay down the gratitude first before moving into the show? Yeah, uh, it's, I'm actually quite blown away. I was a little emotional yesterday. Um, we did a, a Zoom hangout with all of our pa- new Patreon uh, supporters, which the numbers were much higher than I anticipated after like just, about a week or so. So everybody who has supported us on Patreon, you've truly helped us not only pay our bills to keep this going, but it's gone even further than that. And it's really going to help this show grow and become what we want it to be. And everybody that hung out the other day on Zoom, yesterday on Zoom was incredible. Um, I'm just so grateful to all of you for all your support. It really gives me a sense of purpose and hope for the future, aside from music, which is amazing. And uh, Matt and I couldn't be more grateful. So thank you, everybody, so much. Yeah, right on. Um, it, it does, you know, it gives the show a whole new lease of life, I think. And it's it's made the future potential of where we can take it even more exciting. So if you want to come join the crew, be a part of it, patreon.com forward slash stoke the fire is the place to go. There'll be a link on this episode description as well. Uh, and in between the biweekly episodes, which we put out, you'll have all kinds of extra stuff. Uh, episodes with just me and Jesse, which proved to be some of the most popular ones from Series 1, where we do mental health check-ins, campfire Q&As. There's the listener guest episodes. They all live on Patreon going forward. There's the behind the music episodes that we do, exclusive to Patreon, where we talk about Jesse's lyrics and his songs. Uh, There's all kinds of stuff. Zoom hangouts, as Jesse just said there as well. So please do head over if you haven't already. There's six different tiers on offer, ranging from three to $30 a month, all kinds of different, you know, incentives and returns for your donations. So please do check it out and come join the fun. But without further ado, Jesse, I'll let you do the honors. Why don't you introduce your dear old friend to the show and we will welcome him back for his second appearance right here on Stoke the Fire. He's a man I admire very much for um, who he has become, who he is, a down-to-earth dude, very talented um, and humble. Gotta love him. Mr. Uh, D. Rendell, live from Lamb of God, and 
uh, just a great artist in general. Come on in. A uh, great photographer, uh, surfer, and uh, a philanthropist as well. For the Where world. am I? <laughs> <laughs> and a funny motherfucker right well, there. Who right. am I? What is this? <laughs> what is life? Welcome back, my brother. How you guys doing, man? Good 10 out you. of 10, 10 out of 10. Yeah, really excited to have you back on and, and yeah, Thanks. excited to to get into this amazing project, which, um, you know, is fresh and I'm sure you want to talk about that. Before we do, though, we interviewed Chuck Reagan from Hot Water Music the other day mm -hmm. and Je Jesse, within that conversation, uh, recalled the time you two first met. I wonder if you remember it the same. I'd like to hear your version of events. Can you place the time, the moment, the scene? The time that Jesse and I first met? Yeah. Like actually or, met, met. Um, well, I mean, I we had seen each other in passing. Um like I, I don't know if you remember, but I being in New England, you know, and we played, I think we played some shows with you, maybe at, at, at like uh at the Palladium or whatever when you were still the singer, you know, the first time. Um, but I think the first time that I honestly remember having a conversation with you was, I believe, one of your first shows back with Kill Switch. Right. Um, I think it was in Germany, maybe. Not it. Bing, bing, bing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember, you know, because having toured with Howard many times, you know, um, and and knowing him during when you were on your hiatus from Kill Switch, you came back and you killed it. And I was just like, I, I got to give this dude, got to give him his flowers, you know, let him know he did a good job because you, you've been away for a while. Give you some props. So that, oh, that's that, the first time I really remember us talking, talking. Yeah, that, and right? that, meant, that, that meant the world to me. Yes, yes, it was that. And on top of that, which added a whole other layer for me. I was wearing an Operation Ivy t-shirt and you were singing <sighs> lyrics to me. And then we hung out in the, uh, the uh, catering and both realized how we were both punk rockers. And that was it for me. I was like, this dude is awesome. Not only yeah, is he punk, punk rockers in the metal band. Yeah. Not only is he sweet and like totally didn't have to let go to, up to me and tell me I did a good job, which meant the fucking world to me. But then it was like, oh, this dude's on the level. Like he can talk punk rock. That's not, that's rare in the metal world. You know, people like kind of like punk, but like Randy knows his fucking punk rock, which is awesome. Well, it, it, you know, also, I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of, of the records Howard did and stuff. But at that point, when you came back, there was you were the only on one one full length album, right? Well, yeah, the first self-titled and then Alive and Just Breathing. Yeah, Alive, Alive and Just That's Breathing. Like yeah, yeah. Well, that was the bigger one that I knew. And I was just yeah. like it's cool to see this guy actually doing it again, you know? And I think Howard definitely put his own spin on it and, and made it his own thing, your songs, but it was really cool to see you sing your, your songs, you yeah. know? So. Well, I appreciate that, man. It's something I won't forget. And that it really made, gave me a sense of camaraderie, you know, cause uh, I had been out, not only out of the band, but sort of out of the scene, you know, cause I was yeah. in a completely different, like a rock and roll band. I wasn't even really touring much with, metal bands and the only thing i would see is what i would see online you know and i tried to not even be really pay attention to that stuff so it was a really yeah. cool moment man. and yeah I, I was talking to chuck about hardcore and about seeing hot water music band for the first time and then that story just popped in my head and i had to share it with chuck i thought it was great they used to play here all the time um 
a lot of times with avail i think oh yeah you know? avail, fuck yeah yeah good stuff man i watched yeah, the guar yeah, documentary nice... last night randy what i watched the guar documentary last night so this is guar you're in it i didn't know I they were actually, from richmond i but... just put something in my instagram stories about that and uh jesse right behind you i see the the copy of american hardcore Travel um, history. Was, Fuck yeah. which, which of course was made into a fantastic documentary um and when that was still in theaters it played at a theater in richmond called the bird the bird theater which for years had like second run movies you know they go to the the movie houses and then a few a few months later they come to the bird and the tickets were only one dollar yes to go see like whatever the blockbusters was and eventually they raise it to two dollars and everybody here acted like the world was ending like like what do you mean two dollars for for like it's only it's only been out of regular these a little bit but but they also show like more art films and stuff and american hardcore uh played at the bird theater uh that premiered there late at night and we all went and brocky from guar of course uh was in the in the film and it's where some other richmonders because you know the hardcore scene was small in the 80s when it first started in every place but i remember brocky he was in the theater with us he came on the screen in the movie everybody's like yeah <laughs> you know um i watched this is guar last night too Whoa. um and uh it um it is pretty emotional for me because there's there's several people in that movie who are not here now but there's also there was also uh there was also a lot of physical places in Richmond that have changed, you know, and it was in a lot of ways in the, it was a snap, a snapshot of, of the time I moved here, you know, in the late eighties. And uh, the movie, people who don't understand Guar think it's just dudes in like rubber monster costumes, shooting blood and jism all over the place. But really it's this crazy socio-political commentary in the guise of, the most over-the-top rock and roll band ever, you know? Um, and they do everything themselves. So that documentary, if you want to see how real artists have persevered and done their own thing, their own way, on their own terms, mm. at times definitely to their own detriment, <laughs> but out of sheer bullheadedness, I highly, highly recommend watching This Is War. It's streaming right now on AMC Plus and the Shudder uh, channel. I got the um, I got the the trial of AMC Plus, which I'll cancel, you know, because I don't yeah. watch that much TV. I did exactly <laughs> the same thing. Trial, you know, I got the seven day Shudder trial. Get in, watch this is Guar. Get out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So <laughs> anybody should check that out, man. And it's um, it's not just about uh, like for me that film was not just about uh like how dudes do a, a rubber monster show and stuff it was about how to be a real artist you you have to to pay dues you have to to do things if you're following your your own real um, your muse what speaks to you you know as an artist and those guys have definitely done that and they are still doing it to this day you know and also uh, those guys are like big brothers to us. Um, our first real tour ever, um, which we played the Palladium at, by the way. Uh, it was 
Guar and then this band Amen is main support and we were the first band um, on the bill. We were the opener and our first record had just come out on prosthetic New American Gospel. And we had a, a regional sort of following, you know, um, as Burn the Priest and then as Lamb of God in the early days, but no one really knew about us. And Guar was just like, we're gonna carry these guys out, you know, uh, and they taught us how to tour, to like, to really tour. Like I, I didn't, like I didn't understand when they took us out, like what uh, a monitor guy was, like why you would need a guy to run lights, any of that shit. I didn't, I didn't know what a tour manager was. We had been a band for, you know, six years already. But, you know, just doing the punk rock thing in the van or whatever, you know, we, I, we were still on the van on the Guar tour, but like just playing basements, you know, um, or, or warehouses and squats and stuff. So they taught us a lot. And, uh, you know, they're like our big brothers. We love them very dearly. That's what it's all about, man. I love that kind of shit. I truly do. You know, I've had those mentors in my life as well, you know. Cause you'd be in a band back then you show up, you plug in ring out and someone looks at you and you go, is it good? Yeah. Good. Go. <laughs> yeah. You just barrel through the set as best you can. Hoping you don't blow something. Uh, yeah. yeah. I did that for many, many years too, until, you know, older, older folks actually, uh, the jet from Sam black church is one of the guys that really took oh, love and, jet. Yeah. And, and his was, brother. Yeah. Good dudes, man. But I remember he, yeah, he took me aside. He was like, you got to make eye contact. If you're talking about something important, be careful about your control with your mic and make sure you mean it. Like just like sat me down and was like, this is how you do it. So people like that are invaluable when, you know, yes. Journey. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Dave Brocky in particular, you know, um, was a, he was a really big influence on me. Obviously not like, costume wise I don't I'm, you know I'm not a space monster but the way he did things the way he approached things the way he uh his work ethic was incredible you know um it was very black flag you know the black flag worth a work ethic where it's just like play anywhere to anyone he would you know load out that all that shit out of their truck then get in do press get in the costume do a show and at the end of the night load it help them load it all out because like guar is not like uh they have a lot of overhead so they don't you know they, they aren't employing a massive crew a lot of the stuff that you know band members normally don't do those guys do they're constantly working 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 and he was always always working on guar at the slave pit which is their compound you know i go by and see him sometimes and he was either doing press or working on a costume or building a new storyline you know or just working on music it, it was incredible he was always grinding on it because it was his passion um and you know when i moved to richmond the first time i saw guar this here's a little story the first time i saw guar um the first time I heard of Guar, I was like this 18-year-old snot-nosed kid who moved to Richmond to go to, quote-unquote, go to college, right, to VCU. I came here really um, because they had a better scene than where I was, you know, um, and, and I'd been coming to Richmond to see shows every now and then. I'm like, I'm going to Richmond because they have great punk rock shows, <laughs> and uh, my parents weren't too thrilled with the college choice because, you know, it was an art school. But one night I was at 7-Eleven and then all these people walked in just covered in all this shit, right? And I looked at them and I was like, what happened to you people? 
you know, <laughs> like what, what is going on? And they were in there getting Slurpees or whatever. And they looked at me and they said, guar. And I said, what is a guar? <laughs> and they're like, you'll see, you know, you'll understand, ask around. So they're, they're this weird band thing. So a few months later, they played a, um, they played a uh, matinee. It was an early show and a late show. And I think I went to the late show and I didn't know what the fuck they were. I didn't understand. I didn't know if they were going to suck or not. So just in case the band was boring, I took like three hits of really high quality blotter acid, high quality oh blotter God. acid. <laughs> and I thought it was just okay acid. It turned out to be really good, really good. So I went to the show and uh, an opening band played and it was okay. I was waiting for it to kick in. And then it started to really kick in. And right as it was really kick in, the lights all went out and Guar comes in. And this place, it's a club called the Metro. We were downstairs and there isn't a backstage, right? There is no backstage. There's no side stage entrance or whatever. So they walk in, Guar walks in through the front door of the club, then through the audience wearing all their shit with like lit torches and shit. I'm peeking on acid. Wow. And I'm like, what the fuck is this dude and watch this show in complete amazement you know what i mean like what is going on i think i got i think there was this dude who didn't like me there for some reason he was an asshole i think i got in a fight with him that night because i think he hit me and i think i hit him back i think i was like did this guy just hit me should i hit him back are we fighting what is fighting what is going on? I didn't, because there's like blood and shit flying everywhere. I didn't understand what was going on. The end of the night, it was just insane, dude. I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Even without being on LSD, a Guar, Guar show will blow your mind. Mm -hmm. So after that, I was just like, oh my God, these guys are from here. And they were like these mysterious sort of characters to me. Um, I knew they were actually humans, but I was like, I got to meet these guys. And Gradually, I found out who they were. And then the first time I ever remember Dave Brocky saying anything to me, and this is great. This is kind of like why he was sort of a mentor to me, even when he was being a dick, right? We played a show at this club called Twisters. I don't know if you ever played there on Gray Street. Doesn't sound familiar. Yeah, it was a, you know, 300 capacity, you know, little club, 300, 400 capacity club. And uh, we opened up for like Cathedral or Napalm Death or someone like that, right? We were first on the bill and we were still called Burn the Priest then. And we had a really bad show. Nobody gave a fuck about us, right? They were just like, ugh, what's this stupid band? And you had to push your gear out through the back. And the show was packed because it was like Napalm Death or whatever, but nobody gave a fuck about us. So I'm pushing our our gear out through the back, through the crowd, all sweaty and just bummed. And at the bar, they're sitting Dave Brocky. And he's got these two beautiful punk rock girls on either side of him. And he's got a drink in his hand and he's just lording it up. And he looks over and he goes, hey, Randy, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, baby. <laughs> and he laughs in my face. And I was like, fuck you, Dave. Like, like little, little upset Randy pushed me like, Fuck him, fuck him. And then later I realized, oh, he knows who I am. That that's right. that dude actually knows who I am. You know, he the singer bar knows my name. Wow. You know, and uh he was busting my chops and and 
a, a lot of those guys used to bust our chops and have some stories, but it was, it's all in love, you know, and, and they taught us a lot. So um, I just love those guys. And it's, uh, it's interesting. You watched that movie last night. Cause so did I, you know? Yeah. And I had no idea about the kind of the push and the pull between, is it Hunter, Hunter and Dave and Hunter, Hunter, yeah, Hunter Jackson. He wanted to make a film initially, and then it kind of became this, you know, creative explosion between those two that, you know, gave birth right. to this amazing universe. And Yeah, well, Hunter, you know, it's like all those guys are like, they're nerds, like, um, like cartoon, comic book, D&D, fantasy, like weird stuff, and obviously, because they created this thing, but science fiction, and so am I. But uh, they also were all like art students. You know, so Guar was first an artist collective. And so Hunter had this idea to to make this crazy movie called Scum Dogs of the Universe. And he had all these costumes. And then Dave Brocky, whose band Death Piggy, who were just a fucked up punk rock band. They were an interesting punk rock band here in Richmond. They practiced next door to Hunter's art studio. And Dave was like, let us wear your costumes from the movie, you know, and it was just like paper mache bullshit, you know, back then. And, and they wound up wearing the costumes and, and performing as Guar, you know, and then it, it just kind of spiraled out of control. But yeah, there's a lot of creative uh, tension between Hunter because he was the guy who originally had the idea. And then Dave kind of came along and hijacked it and turned it into this weird thing that is Guar. Um, so it, you know, it'd been that way for years. Um, just chaos Hunter, isn't it three decades of chaos it's amazing like what, yeah. everything they achieved and that it's still going because it just seemed like the train could come off the fucking tracks oh, at that's any what moment. i always say about guar is like on paper this makes absolutely zero sense right it this should not work um absolutely should not work but then when you watch them and uh and get to know them and watch them like being behind stage at a Guar show. It's incredible. It's like constant movement of them changing costumes and fixing shit and like doing all this stuff. It works because they work, you know, their work ethic is fucking incredible. So um, we were, we, me personally was very inspired by all that. Hell yeah. Well, to bring things right up to date as well, we kicked off series two of the show with another fellow native of your area, Black Lick. Was oh first... yeah, that's, oh shit. That's right. You did. You did. Uh, you did one with my homie. What I for, I haven't even listened to it. He didn't even. He did tell me you did it. How long ago did you guys record it? A few oh. months back, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 a few months. Yeah, but I, I got it. I only just went there. up, but yeah. What's the connection there? How did you guys meet? Just through the local got scene, Black or? Liquid. Um, <laughs> I know uh, Black just through like the like. There's a there's a really good like strong um, underground hip-hop music scene here in richmond um and i know several of the guys uh in that scene um and uh i think man really i think we started connecting through my how did we start connecting i don't know i like I think I reached out to him from Instagram. I think we had seen each other on the streets during like uh, the summer of 2020 because there was a lot of civil unrest here at that time um, around the George Floyd murders. And of course we used to have all the Confederate statues 
And there were a lot of people in the streets at all times. Um, and he was one of those people. I was out shooting photos. Um, and I just like to stay abreast of local music, really. And he's been a DJ at the, the local independent radio station forever. Um, and he's, he's got a very interesting mind. Like it's, it works very quick and it approaches things and views things from a different, a different sort of, um, a different place. Um, so, and he's fucking, he's a real MC. Right. Like, like he's not one of these guys that mumbles every five minutes or whatever, you know, he's a real fucking MC. And I've seen him go off the top. Like there was this, uh, there was this sort of spoken word event at a local art gallery called Gallery Five, um, and he told me, "Yo, I'm I'm gonna do my thing there, and it's a quote unquote poetry reading, you know, in some ways." And um, and so there was some painful, very, like you know, poet types there at, at times doing the very painful poetry thing. Yeah, and stick a couple to other- that, that format of like it's this is spoken word like this is yeah well yeah like really like like a character because i love poetry but it's sort of a caricature of like what a poet is some right. of them right. and an, another friend of mine ryan uh, did a reading he's a really good writer and then black did his thing he's like i'm going to go off the top i'm going to get up here and people in the audience yell a a uh, topic at me and i'm going to speak on it but he does it in rhyme so um like people like someone someone yelled Emmett Till you know which is which is something you would expect a, a black hip-hop artist to speak on and immediately did that but then other people did weird things I think I just yelled out existential angst and he just went with it you know and made it rhyme and like just kills it he just goes 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 so like he can battle, he can freestyle, he's the real deal. And he's just such a super cool dude, super smart guy. He's got a punk rock band called Armageddon Time. They're like kind of DB, you know? Um, uh, the fir- their first show they played under a bridge here in Richmond. I went down and took photographs of that. It was really cool, you know? Which is how I started to pay attention to him because of you. That Those photos and stuff, I was like, who and what is going on there under a bridge? This is dope and that's kind of when i got turned on to him through you yeah. so you, you check out, assuming you checked out his last record love it dude band. i love it yeah yeah i love he, hip-hop and his hardcore he's just a great lyricist and he's a super smart dude yeah super nice guy too man you, you guys need to meet one day yeah no it's gonna happen for sure man i've become a big fan of his shit for sure mm-hmm. his hip-hop stuff is dope man i love the storytelling and yeah the, and he's just got that punk attitude. Like he does not give a fuck what you think about him. I love that. It's so not good. at all. It's so good. Yeah, not at all. So I mean, keeps it real, you know. And and he, you know, without fitting to anyone's expectations, whether it's like societies or like a hip hop cliche, you know, he speaks on what he wants to speak, and it's I, I respect that, you know. Oh yeah, dig it. Yeah, it's that spirit of punk that will always be. I'm always down with that. If you're doing your own thing, you're staying true to yourself. I don't care what genre or whatever. If you, you're wearing your heart in your sleeve and, and you stick to your guns, mm-hmm. you got you, you got my ears. I'm paying attention for sure. Yeah, it's, you know, he has in recent years become more and more familiar with a lot of punk and metal and stuff, music. And sometimes 
I'll send him like, check this out, you know? Cause he's like, he likes the attitude. It, like he gets punk, not necessarily that he came up in the same music that you and I grew up listening to, but he came up with that attitude. And now he's like, oh, this music fits that. So like he, he really yeah. digs it, you know? Love it. It's wild that he's on Sage's record label as well. Your old housemate. It's just yeah. crazy how small the world is sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. Like my connection to him is, is yeah, there's a duality there because Sage, Francis, and I go way back too. So yeah, it's it's dope. I love oh, it. you used to live together? Yeah, yeah. He was my roommate. So when I was writing A Leverage is Breathing, he was writing his breakout a hip hop record called Personal Journals, which is to this day, to me, one of the most amazing political, social commentary hip hop records of all time, in my opinion. And I got to witness him writing. Uh, he, he wrote a song called uh, Makeshift Patriot right after 9-11 about the propaganda, about the media. And I was writing Life to Lifeless on Our Leverage's Breathing, which was about my reaction to 9-11. So the two of us mm. were crafting these songs on separate albums, separate genres at the same time under the same roof and comparing, wow. comparing notes. And like that was he and Sage was my gateway to, you know, he would tour. And he'd have hip hop artists when they come through on tour. We had an extra room in the front, so people would crash all the time. So I had in Boston. Is that where you? No, Pro Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, Providence. Yeah. So we would have, well, actually, more specifically, Cranston. So my friends don't like yell at me, Cranston, <laughs> which is just outside of Providence. But right, we right. Have, get it right, Jesse. Yeah. Otherwise, your New England card's going to get pulled. Exactly. <laughs> but we would have MCs and uh, DJs and you know, people that would busk on the streets that were passing through stay at my house. And we would have freestyle parties where people who could play an instrument, I would jump on the drum, someone would jump on the bass and the, a rhymer would grab a mic and just pass the mic. So mm -hmm. I grew up around that shit because of Sage being in my house. So I'm forever indebted to Sage for showing me spoken word poetry, freestyle, real hip hop, and yeah. then introducing me to a cast of characters in the underground scene uh, hip hop scene that to this day I still listen to. I love all yeah, that shit. Man. Yeah. So yeah, the connection's crazy between you, Black Look, and Sage. It's like my, my life. I love it. The crossroads of my life. <laughs> well, I love hearing stories like that about you guys writing those two like seminal records at the same time. You know, it's it, at times, and that's what I really loved about like once again that movie. This is Guar. It feels like it, sometimes we're in this. There, there is a creative nexus happening you know in certain periods of time where people come together and maybe they're working on entirely different projects but they're together and that energy supports you know it supports each other um i've found that in in all aspects of of my artistic endeavors that the more i'm around other artistic people it doesn't matter what they're doing whether they're writing or doing photography or painting or choreographing dance or making music or working on a film, if I'm around these people, it feeds, it stokes the fire, you know, it, it fucking, it feeds that, that thing, you know, it feeds that thing. And for people who I think, who, who are aspiring creatives or whatever, one of the best, because I, I don't often give advice like this, but one of the, one of the best pieces of advice I would give to people is surround yourself with other people who are doing things, mm. you know, who are actively pursuing their muse, who are actively making and creative because this is inspirational and it's, uh, you get, you, your project will get better almost by osmosis. 
if you're yes. feeling that creative energy, you know? That, that's why podcasts are so rad too, you know? You'd sit around and talk to each other. Yeah, and there's no rules. That's why I love it too. It's the, to me, it's the new venture that I've been a part of that Matt and I just, there's no, the future's open. No one's yeah. telling us what the fuck to do with this. We can do anything we want with it. We can have whoever we want on it. Yeah. We can talk about whatever we want on this. I love it. It's great. Yeah. But that's great advice, man. And I would also add on, and I think this might be a good segue too, is is to to really find yourself in moments of uh, solace in nature. And I think I know you can speak on this as well. Uh, it's a conversation that's constantly revolving in this podcast creativity stems from being around humans and interacting and being inspired by humans. But I also think that it comes from being alone. And for me personally, uh, I draw a lot of that from the natural world, from being out in the forest hiking or being in my kayak on a river. And I know you, you're riding your bike always. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all that shit. And I know you definitely have that connection with the ocean and surfing Mm -hmm. and mother nature as well, which, you know, your new venture, what you're doing, which is super inspiring, kind of all ties together. So maybe speak on that as well. You know, you gave great advice just now, but what do you think about what I just said? How does that work with your life? I think, I think uh, definitely uh, some sort of connection with the natural world is essential, not just for uh, the creative process, but also for the human spirit, you know, um, I think we are so far removed in so many ways in this modern environment and, and everybody's existing. Like, let's face it. Some people are are watching this through their phone right now. I'm not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. Like the iPhone is destroying the universe or whatever. It kind of is, but like, (laughs) like, um, like there's ways to use it, you know, for good. So, but I think it's important because we, you know, we're, we're descended from fucking cavemen, you know, cavemen did not grow up in apartment buildings watching Netflix all the time. They got out and in order to uh, maintain balance, emotional, mental, and physical, and to them, spiritual, of course, since the beginning of time, they have to be in nature. Um, so interfacing with the world, actually going out into nature is so so important for me uh, not like there's a huge difference between watching a documentary about uh, a country you know uh, about uh, uh, the swiss alps there's a huge difference between watching something on tv about that and actually going there and walking through the swiss alps right you know right. both of which i've done and yes you can learn from from watching things about nature but to go out and, and immerse yourself in it it a, it, uh, it, it puts you in this very moment, you know, um, when you're walking in the woods or, or for me, particularly when I'm in the ocean surfing, it puts me in the moment, you know, because I, I, I'm immersed in something where I have to pay attention to my surroundings, yeah. you know, and, it, and it's really good for the human spirit. And it, and it gives are uh, constantly overloaded brains a break, you know? Um, surfing in particular for me, uh, because it's, a, it's such a protean environment, a, a wave, like I love to skateboard. I used to skateboard a whole lot now because of what you and I do, jumping around like lunatics, 
and also years of skateboarding, my knees are pretty shot. Yeah. Um, so I don't do it that much anymore. Um, but I, I, I love the skateboard, but like when I go to a skate park, the, the line that I'm riding is the same every time it's static, it's, it's concrete or it's an obstacle, you know, it's always going to be the same. I can do the same thing over and over and over again in nature, in the ocean, each wave is different. It's a protean environment. It's constantly changing and, and shifting and you have to react according to your surroundings. So there's no time to think. So it shuts down the monkey mind. It shuts down the mind that's worrying about the future so much that is catastrophizing everything that is, you know, predicting World War III um, tomorrow because I forgot to pay the electric bill. That's the way my brain works, you know? So I forget something stupid and then all of a sudden that's going to piss off the neighbor whose cousin happens to work at the Pentagon and they're going to be mad at the president. And then next thing you know, boom, you know, the world... Like my mind is crazy. It works like that. Yeah. Very short order. We're at Armageddon. Um, but <laughs> surfing, there's no, there's no time for that because you, you have to be in the moment. Yeah. You know, your brain like relaxes. It's like meditation. You know, so it's really good for my spirit, and it, um, it stops the the doom monkeys from running amok in my head. And uh, being in nature is just it's great for me, uh, in general, you know, it's healthy, get out and walk around. How many years had you been going down to Ecuador before the pandemic? Well, the whole thing, the reason why we're talking about Ecuador is, um, it's because I have a, uh, I have a buddy named Carlos who is from Ecuador and I met him surfing, uh, down in North Carolina. Um, at this beach, I used to have a, a beach house down in Cape Fear, North Carolina on Oak Island um, that I got for 600 bucks a month. I got it to write my book, right? I remember you telling us when you were last on, yeah, what a great use of the advance. Yeah, dude, $600 a month. I, regrettably, I don't have it anymore. That, that deal disappeared. But like, I sat there and that's where I learned to surf. You know, I was like, 43 or whatever and i was like i could never afford a surfboard before now i actually have some money i'm i'm gonna learn to do this so i started surfing there and uh, i got to know the local surfers you know and they, they were teaching me and so forth and one day my buddy david was like have you met the ecuadorian dude and i'm like what like there's a dude from ecuador here because it's like this little redneck beach you know out in the middle of nowhere and uh, he's like yeah he rips dude he's like he's here with his wife on vacation wife's uh, his wife is American so I I got to surf with him and um, he was living in Columbus Ohio at the time because his wife uh, is from there and she had a job there she's um she's like a, a nurse so she's a really cool lady um, and we surfed and it was cool the waves waves were okay it was the middle of the summer it's kind of like flat on the east coast then and then September and October is when the hurricanes come and the waves get big and they get good. And he hooked us up. He's like, can I come back down without my wife this time? Can we kind of stay with someone? Yeah, sure. So he came and stayed down with my buddy, David, and the waves were big, hurricane swell. Um, and he's like, dude, if you like these waves, you need to come surf in Ecuador. Uh, I, and I'm a goofy foot left, which means, you know, I, I go left a lot. Uh, and he's like, I, I know a few really good lefts down there. So that was probably, I would think, I probably went down there for the first time, like maybe seven or eight years ago. 
you know, maybe maybe eight years ago, and I went down and, and served with him and uh, and just started going back um, when I had time to go surf with him and, and got to know a lot of locals down there, really cool people in different regions of Ecuador. Assumedly, and, it was more than just the surf bringing you back, right? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, um, like, that's a thing, you know, um, like you can go places to surf as a surfer. I, I think this is a problem um, with some of the surf culture, the modern surf culture as it is, uh, because we have all these apps that tell us when waves are going to be good you know, anywhere in the world where back in the day, you just kind of had to go and hope. Um, but people go to places to surf now a lot of the times and they'll go to like a very surf centric uh, town or even like they built resorts that cater just to surfing. So they get to this place. It's kind of like going to a, a, it's a little bit, normally a little bit better than like going to a resort, like, like where you take your family or whatever. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of like isolated from the rest of the place you're going, you know, um, and you go to this place and you surf these killer waves. Cause when you surf and there's killer waves, all you want to do is surf. You don't really give a fuck about much else, <laughs> you know, and you go into this place and you're like, oh, that was dope. And then you leave and you don't really see the country, you know? So, um, I go down there a lot of times for a month at a time and there's not waves every fucking day. And Carlos is local and he has friends all over. So I went to many different areas and started meeting local people and Ecuador is a, a poor country, you know? So people live there um, with much less than we have, um, but they're happy. Like, I, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not glamorizing poverty in any way, shape, or form here. It sucks to be poor, but, like, there's a lot of things that are not, uh, that are not what we take for granted to, to stress these people out, you know? Um, like, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, I guess. If you've never, never immersed yourself in a quote-unquote third-world country, it's hard to explain. You know? well, often as well, it is the people with the least who are the most generous and hospitable. 100%. Give you everything they've got. 100%. And that's the whole other thing. It's like, there's definitely, and I've talked to other friends of mine who, you know, uh, who live there, who are not originally from there or other people of mine, other friends of mine who've been there and know people there. I'm like, is there a feeling of willingness to help each other more than there is here in America? And they're like, 100%. And that's been, it's true. You know, people there definitely don't have as much, but there's in the communities, it feels much more community oriented, you know? So there's this, this sort of feeling of uh, we all have to help each other. And it's not so much a transactional feeling, mm -hmm. you know, uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, it's definitely not a perfect country in any way, shape or form. I'm not trying to say it's, it's, like Mecca and, and paradise or anything, but uh, it's, it's slower. It's a lot slower, you know, things slow down there and um, you know, it's, it's not Americanized as it were. Um, so one of the, one of the things with my buddy Carlos, I really like him, big, big uh, environmentally conscious guy, uh, really big into conservation uh, of the natural world. And 
I find that that's one cool thing about the surfing culture in general. You, you got a lot of people who really care about the environment and our, and our sort of subculture because we're immersed in it all the time, you know, um, except for, you know, I guess like the guys who are inland who surf wave pools or whatever, you know, everybody else, if you're on the coast, you want to do your favorite activity, you have to literally immerse yourself in nature. So you, you pay more attention to things like litter, you know, and, and like on a city street, you see a plastic bag, you know, in the corner, you know, by the alley, it doesn't really register a lot of times if you're in a big city, but in the ocean, you see a plastic bag floating or a piece of trash or whatever. And you're like, what the fuck is this? This does not belong here, you know? So uh, Carlos is super environmentally conscious. Um, and his family has a farm uh, where, you know, that's a problem in, in a lot of poorer countries um, is there's a lot of monocultural crops where like, for instance, in Indonesia, they've cut down massive amounts of, of jungle and rainforest to plant palm oil, you know, which is used in everything. Um, so uh, there some of the monocultural crops in Ecuador would be palm oil, um, the massive cacao plantations. Uh, let's see what else, sometimes pineapple, you know, and these went by monocultural crops. I mean, they're just planting one thing, you know, and forever and it strips the ground of nutrients. So Carlos is, um, we know a bunch of people down there who, who have bought property and are replanting indigenous trees. And if they're farming, they're trying to use concepts of permaculture. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. Um, it's, using uh using indigenous plants or or plants that are uh, that aren't stripping the ground nutrients and you aren't just planting one type of plant you're planting groups of plants together that help each other grow while nourishing the ground you know like for instance if you plant one type of tree and a fruit vine that needs shade you plant them together you don't just plant these these trees with nothing else you know so really trying to, you know, on his family's farm, doing it in sort of a permaculture way with a lot of indigenous plants. And so for a few years of, after going down there, Carlos had been telling me there's this property near the farm that was, it's inland, it's not even near the waves. That's what I'm saying. It's not like I'm, I'm buying this killer surf spot or something. Um, there's this piece of like cattle land um, that had been, had cattles on it, cattles, uh, cattle cows grazing on it for god knows how many years you know decades and uh, ecuador is super green you know it rains and it's on the equator it flowers a lot but i, I looked at this land and year round it's just brown and dead and compacted because cows grazing on it and kept on telling me hey man this this land is for sale this land is for sale we could do something with it um and I, you know, had it in the back of my mind or whatever. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, he told me um, that his family was going to get part of it. And he's like, we, we should get all of this. And he's like, do you want to get in on this? Um, we're planning on buying some of it. And I was like, screw it. And it was at the beginning of the pandemic, right? Right at the very beginning before it had really spread out. It was in March of 2020. Um, and we didn't know how everything was going to shut down for two years. Uh, you know, maybe I wouldn't have done it then if I had known that I wasn't going to go on tour for two years, but I spent a pretty fair amount of money and bought a lot of acres of land, 
um, this former Catalan, uh, had seen it from like across the road, but never set foot on this place, not once. I just looked at it and I was like, oh, that's a dead field. Um, so I got it, got, got it worked out, bought this piece of land and Carlos's family bought the rest of the land. It's connected. Um, and then it's the pandemic. I, I thought, well, you know, I'll just go on tour and make some money to, hmm. you know, <laughs> cover this, you know, tens of thousands of dollars I've spent, you know, uh, for this piece of land in a different country that I've never even walked on. That you now and won't be able it, to even visit for two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and then it went boom, you know, touring got shut down. And I was like, fuck, that was a chunk of change. I was like, I got to figure out uh, somehow to make some money, you know? Um, so Cameo had been after me for a while. And I know Jesse has one too. And um, I was like, I, I never wanted to do it. I was like, eh, I'm not going to do that. And then I kept on thinking, I was like, oh, wait a minute, Cameo. People will actually pay me to like wish them happy birthday or whatever. It'll make fans happy and I can use the money for good. So solely funded by Cameo, um, I'm still several thousand dollars short of my initial investment, but not by much, solely funded by Cameo in about a year, I've managed to pay off for most of this land, buy another piece of land, pay for fencing, and we've planted like tons of trees and stuff, and the land is totally green now, Love you know, it. and we have locked it down and are conserving it um, and are, you know, the, the first crop we planted, um, on, on my piece of land, his family actually did it. It's a bunch of balsa trees and then some fruit vines and stuff to start getting, we, we had to break up the earth, get rid of a bunch of invasive weeds and stuff, but planted a bunch of balsa trees and some other fruit vines. And the land is green again to, to start the land growing again, you know? Um, and balsa is a great carbon sink. Uh, it absorbs CO2 from the atmosphere at a very high rate. Um, while emitting oxygen. So it's reducing greenhouse gases. So it's helping to mitigate the climate crisis. And that's happening right now as we sit, as we speak, you know, these trees are doing this thing. Um, and there was a bunch of jungle there that was secondary forest. It wasn't old growth forest because that had already been logged 30 years ago. But uh, along with just the fields, I bought this secondary forest. And this, these people were like, well, how are we going to make money? We're going to log that down, sell off the wood and plant another monocultural crop, cacao, and, and make it that way. But when we bought the land, that prevented that from happening. So now there's this jungle that is preserved. And it's, dude, it's got a waterfall. It's crazy as fuck. <laughs> and um, it's really dense. And that's going to stay, you know? So um, I think what's really cool as well, Randy, is you you highlight this in the video that you sent over and that you posted is it's all well and good conserving land in these third world countries, but the people there also need to live, don't they? And it's, yes. no, it's no use for them if they can't somehow work, you know, because they can't survive, but you're looking at trying to, you know, do the best of both worlds to save the land and encourage right. and stimulate fair local trade. Right. Right. Well, I cannot ethically, it's very important. Um, you know, it's very important to, I think, private uh, conservation is important, 
part of this effort in the, in, to save what left we have of the world because we can't just wait on governments or multinational corporations to do the right thing and stop killing our environment, right? Because they're not going to fucking do yeah. it. They are not going to do it. Um, they're going to give you a park here or there, like this is a national park here or there, and, 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 and pretend that they're actually doing something, but they're not. So uh, I'm really, you know, NGOs, nonprofits and stuff, there's a lot of great organizations working on saving the environment, but there's also private uh, conservation efforts. And, and this is my, my land that I'm, I'm working with Carlos and his land and other friends of ours, by the way, we control this whole, some Ecuadorian, there's some from different countries, we control from the ocean all the way back to my land, like this eco strip of thousands and thousands of acres of land that we're all just letting go back. So that's, uh, it, it's very important, right? Private converse, con conservation. But I can't ethically just be this gringo dude who happens to have a cameo account and makes a lot of money and is like, buys this land in this foreign country and is like, I'm protecting the environment. I'm awesome and give myself a pat on the back because <laughs> there's local people who live there. Hmm. And, you know, protecting the environment is not really a priority of yours when you, and as I said, Ecuador is a, country, a poor country, when you don't have money to feed your fucking family. So um, Carlos's family has been established in that area for a long time. So we know local people there who have their families have lived in that region forever. And we're designing and saving this, this, uh, this property and, and, and this land, designing it so that aspects of it can be made commercially viable for local people, you know, where they can make a fair living uh, while conserving the environment without having to chop down all the trees. Like the property we bought the person from if they just let cattle graze on it for years and years and years and years and years, right? And that made them money, the, the property owners. And then they're getting ready to cut down the trees and plant cacao, and that's going to make them money, the property owners, right? Um, for us, the way we deem it crucial, uh, it, just as important as, as, as preserving this land, the way we're doing it is setting it up so that local people can come and work and work the land and make a fair wage, you know? Um, and also like, we have to house some of these people, like on some of this land, there's gonna be some houses built for live-in caretakers, their families will live there. That will be housing that is provided for them. And they will be given their own land where they can grow their own food, not just work for us. You understand what I'm saying? It's crucially important to uh, enable and empower local people to not only help save their own environment, but to make a living, you know? We all have to make a living. And I think that's something we as Americans and, and Brits and other people in more quote unquote developed nations forget. Like everything we have, our convenience comes at the expense of someone else who, who doesn't have what we have right everything does you know so it's uh it's it's uh to me it would be unethical just to go down there and buy this land and sit on it and and not try and help the people in the community there help themselves love it that, that I, to me there's so much of 
you know, to tie it back into like how we grew up and the crazy kids that we were and, and our hopes and dreams for the world and the music and the career and traveling the world. This is a full circle moment. I mean, really a punk rock kid from, you know, the United States is buying land and helping the world. Like it's a global thing. Right. And See, what you- I think when I made this video, if everybody looks on my Instagram, because like I said, I've funded it by fucking cameo. You know, which is amazing because punk rock guilt kept me from doing it forever. <laughs> and like, I'm very yeah. uncomfortable with being a famous, quote unquote, famous person. Oh, you know, I, I don't, yeah. it's not something I ever aspired to. I just wanted to fucking play CBGB, you know? Um, but it, it, for me, uh, I mean, we've, Lamb of God has written songs about the the destruction of our natural world you know um there's one song called reclamation on one of our records the last song in the record starts with a recording of the ocean and it's about this weird to be honest vision i had i've never really spoken on this right i had this vision one day of of me sitting on one of the hills in richmond and watching the place burning because things had gotten so out of control um and we had neglected our natural world so much that everything just erupted in a, in a conflagration. And um, I wrote a song about that and and about how we have to really start paying attention to our natural world and trying to save it or else it's going to take us out. It's like George Carlin said, you know, people are like, save the planet, save the planet. The planet's going to be okay. Yeah. (laughs) We are not, (laughs) you know, the planet's going to be okay. We are not, humans are not we don't we do something um different so writing a song about that and and uh thinking about it and all that shit is cool and all but like i saw a way i could actually do something mm. you know to help preserve this place um you know and my family uh my grandma who died uh last summer she lived to be a hundred and a half you know uh, she she had farmland and stuff and of course my father is inherited too um and when my father dies me and my brothers will get it and there's woods and stuff on it um so a lot of people down in that area have they log a lot of times for money or whatever and you, you'll see whole stretches of woods that we used to run into when we were kids disappear so on a local level me and my brothers are like well when that land when, when our pops dies, let's, let's not log that land. Let's not let any more stuff be torn down because people need woods, you know? Um, so we're trying to do that here in, in what we can do. And I, I saw an opportunity in Ecuador to, to do that. And it's good for the whole planet, man. It really is. Um, you know, down in South America, obviously, you see the Amazon, it's just being deforested like a motherfucker in a lot of different countries. It's another reason why we plant balsa trees because there's a lot of illegal uh, logging of balsa in the Amazon jungle, uh, in the indigenous areas, you know? Um, And we're hoping to help mitigate some of that by planting the first crop of some balsa. So like, you know, stop going into the fucking Amazon because that's the planet's lungs. In case anybody didn't know that, if, if you're wondering like, why does Randy give a fuck about some area of jungle in South America? By the way, that makes our air. Yeah. <laughs> you know, trees make our air. If we don't have them, we die. You know, if you can live without oxygen, 
good on you. The rest of us can't. So let, let's fucking, let's plant some trees, goddammit. Let's, let's bring them back. Let's save what's left. How cool it. as well, you know, I can completely understand why anybody would be hesitant to use a platform like Cameo if they've come from a punk rock background. But how amazing is it? Not just that both of you guys have, you know, been able to, you know, make your fan base happy with these personal messages because that is the, you know, the driving force for them is you've got to, you know, in Jesse's case, I know he's mentioned a few times on the show that Cameo has literally helped him survive the pandemic. And then yeah. being, being able to put that money into something as amazing as this through a community that you've built around your music is very special and very cool. Yeah, I mean, when our living disappeared, uh, when touring went away, a lot of people got on Cameo, you know what I mean? Um, we were lucky enough to do a, a live stream and stuff, but like people maybe... Maybe I don't know if people understand this about me and Jesse, but we're not actually musicians, right? Mm -hmm. We are glorified traveling black t-shirt salesmen. That's <laughs> that's our real job, right? Yep. So like when we aren't able to travel and sell black t-shirts, we don't make any <laughs> money. And both of us, by the way, have rent to pay. <laughs> so um it, it was it's interesting when I figured out that I could I could do the cameo thing to to help mitigate this cost, you know. Um, I mean, I I was already committed and already did it before I ever got on cameo. Um, but it's been really uh, cool for me to like when Carlos he hits me up, he's like, homie, like we need a thousand dollars to to help build a road or whatever down there because we got to build a road into this property we're still developing my piece of property is a smaller part and it's i think what i think i have like 27 acres or something i mean it's not a small piece of property his family bought the other side which is even bigger and we haven't even started replanting on that yet um but we need to build a road so that we can get equipment back in there to fucking bust up the ground and all this other shit. So when he's like, I need a thousand dollars to do this or whatever. And I'm really good friends with his family who are there. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, I'll just, I look at my cameo and I'm like, I have this much money, no problem. You know? And I, I view it as like my, my cameo bank account. Like I just leave the money in the cameo account. And when I need to send some down there, I just transfer it to my bank. So it's like, it's this sort of standalone thing outside of my bank account that I fund this, this uh, reforestation project with. And it's, it's, it's been a really neat thing, you know? And I used it uh, at the beginning of the pandemic and when all the people were dying in India of COVID. I don't know if you remember that. Like yeah. it was really bad there. And I talked to our promoter. Have you done India, Jesse? Never done India. No. Okay. I don't know if you know our promoter down there, Arpan. He's a, he's a great dude. He's promoted us like the two or three times we've been down there. And then um, there's this uh, Indian chick who's also a bagpipe player. I've met her through Instagram. Uh, it's, it's wild. She's like from India, but the crazy bagpipe player. I, I was hit them up and I'm like looking at the news. I'm like, how, what's going on in India? And they're like, it's so fucking bad here right now. Um, they're burning bodies. This woman told me they're burning bodies in the parking lot down the street right beside my apartment because by their burial rites there and Hindu burial rites, you know, they, they burn the bodies and, and then put them in the Ganges or whatever. Um, and they had ran out of wood and the crematoriums were overworked. There's so many fucking dead people. 
And I was like, I was looking at what they needed and they needed oxygenators like in India for people who were in the hospital to get air into their lungs so they could, you know, go through COVID and not die. So I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I, I looked up several different, I talked to our promoter, Arpan. I was like, what is a charity that I can give to? Because you really have to be careful what, what, what charities or organizations you give money to. You have to, because like a lot of times, you know, I hate to say it a lot of times, but sometimes, you know, everything, your money is eaten up in quote unquote administrative costs. That means mm -hmm. salaries for whoever's running the NGO or whatever. So you really have to do your research on what NGOs or charities you're going to give money to and see what percentage um, actually goes to the cause you're doing. I think charitynavigator.org is a good one. Uh, it looks at all the, it gives rankings for charities or whatever. But I ask, I ask our pan, our promoter, I'm like, how can I help? What organization, what can I do to help India right now? These people, they're just dying in the streets, literally. I saw videos of it. Um, and he was like, there's this organization, Khalsa Aid, that does good work. It was like, a, it's a British NGO um, started by a British Indian dude, I believe. And they were delivering oxygenators to people in India. So I was like, okay, I went on Cameo and I like on my Instagram, I'm like, I'm going to do a half off sale um, or, or was it half off? I think it was half off or, or I, yeah, I'm going to do a half off sale for 12 hours and every Cameo I do 100% of the money, I'm going to donate to this to deliver um, uh, oxygenators mm -hmm. to India via this, this charity. And so I booked it and um, like, I got a lot. It took me five days to do them, dude. <laughs> like, and it, I realized very quickly because I want to do more charity stuff with with the cameo thing. Like on this day, I'm going to give half off cameos for 12 hours to cancer research. I realized I cannot do that if I have gigs because I could not speak at the end of them. <laughs> yeah. And that's another thing with my cameo. And I know it's one with yours, Jesse. Is like some people get cameos and they get like some people read like 20 seconds or whatever like hey this is jesse from kill switch and engage and I, I hope you have a happy birthday jeff rock on like yeah, that's yeah. not the way you and i do no, things no like we go on you know so if you get one from me or, or from jesse it's not going to be a minute long like good luck with your new job Angela or whatever you know it, it tends to be much more in depth and I just most of the time to be honest I just act like an idiot and it's a lot of fun you know yeah I've had uh, some really intense ones and I, mm -hmm. I, did, I did the chat ones too where I would be one-on-one -on, -one on camera and uh yeah I, I um I didn't quite have the valiant uh charitable thing but I definitely helped keep the IRS off me so that was Yeah, my, you told me you told me you're paying some back taxes, bro. That's no joke. The IRS don't give a fuck. Still doing it. But um the side the actually the the part of it that really affected me was the interactions I was getting and you know friendships, honestly. I've yeah. made friends because of this and there well, I I've made yeah. a couple of couple of good friends through doing cameos. It's crazy as shit. Think it, right? Yeah. And there are people that support this podcast that are from those days in the pandemic where I was chatting with people because I had nothing to do and it became friendship. So it is incredible. And people could post I get my band makes fun of me all the time for that shit, especially Adam. He definitely like loves to tease me about it. But 
it is what it is, man. We we survived and we did good with it. You did amazing with it, which is incredible. It's actually now you've got my gears rolling. I'm like, what can I do now? Because I'm do starting- a charity day. Do a half off yeah. charity day. Pick something you're passionate about. Just don't do it when we're getting ready to go on tour. By the exactly. way, I keep no, 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 no. At some point on this, um, or oh, else management yeah. is going to beat me up. Uh, <laughs> but That's like, actually just, a good segue, right there. That's just an amazing segue. Don't do it right before we go on tour because <laughs> I did them, dude. I did them for like, as I said, I'm really long winded. I know you tend to go longer too. Yeah. I like, I was having to shorten myself to three minutes. Like, okay, there's a three minute cutoff. Um, but I've gotten some really, really intense ones. Um, and I've been contacted by family members, by, by people who are terminal, you know, yeah. Yeah. their friends are just like, uh, you know, uh, our friend ha- is, is they've given him a year to live and you're yeah. like his favorite band or whatever. It's intense, man. It's intense. So I, I just try to speak from the gut and, um, you know, I've gotten messages from those people. I've been in contact with their family afterwards and stuff. And they're like, what you said, it's really humbling, dude. They're like, right, what right. You, your message, what you said to this person meant so much to them and they're no longer here. And I just wanted you to know that. And it, it like, it makes me emotional thinking about it. And sometimes it's like, I've done them before. And then just afterwards, just burst into tears. Same, Cause like, same. I'm thinking about someone who is dying and I'm like, you know, I, I've never been in that position. Uh, I've never had a, a terminal disease or anything. And it's a heavy thing. Um, so I just try and be honest or whatever. But it's really humbling to think, especially when you hear later from people, it's really humbling to think that, you know, something as silly as you sitting there and talking to your, your iPhone, like it, uh, it gave them some joy. In, in in a part of their life, you know, which is, you know, over now. It's, it's very, very humbling, you know. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, I always say when people compliment me on, our, on our, our band or whatever, like, I mean, it's always nice to get compliments. I love your fucking band. But the best compliment I can ever get from a fan, and I've said this a million times, is when they come to me and they say, you know, this song you wrote, like this song, it really helped me through a hard time. It's really helped me through a hard time. And I know you've heard that, Jesse. I know you've heard it a million times. Uh, and every time I hear that, I'm always just like, wow. And I'm like, really? My dumbass wrote something that, that helped you, you know? But it's super fucking humbling. And I know it's true because music did the same thing for me. Right, exactly. Know? 100%. Yeah, I've had people that were suicidal during the pandemic and uh, I would chat with them and get on and check on them. And, you know, on the messages thing, too, you can switch it over to free. So there's a lot of people I would just start chatting with for free. Oh, you can switch it over to free? The the DMs, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. I, I haven't done the, the video chatting thing, you know, yeah. yet. So, yeah, there's a guy going through a divorce uh, that his wife had a few of those. Yeah, his wife cheated on him and I know what that's all about. So like there was a lot of shit that, you know, I don't go on social media and go check what I did. But, you know, it wasn't no. it wasn't just me on Cameo going, oh, I'm paying my bills. There was a lot, yeah. you know, and it continues to be that for me. But, yeah, I'm taking a, a, a note from you. I'm definitely going to do a charity work moving forward with that. But you mentioned tour. So let's transition to that because that's something yeah. that is on yeah. my don't do it before tour. Yeah. Now let's talk business. Yeah. Have, you, have you guys ever toured together before? Have you ever done a run of like extensive yeah, yeah. shows? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, which is a 
you know, it's, it's funny, man, because, you know, touring as much as we have, you kind of get into routines and, and you, you have bands that you tour with that, like, not a ton of interactions. You just get the job done or it's an awful like it's just awkward and some of the crew sucks with Lamb of God. It's, it's always 100% just family style. Like, cool. Oh yeah, man. Like easy shows are always good. Dudes do it. They, like there's no issues. It's easy to just get out there, do it, have a good time. And like, they're, it's they're like brotherhood. It's cool. It's easy. Yes. I mean, we're just looking forward to it, man. Yeah, yeah. We're looking forward to it too. It's like touring with a band that you have a long history with, um, and we do have a long history with with Killswitch, not just with you. You know, right, like right. we toured with the first tour we ever did with Killswitch was two thousand and three, the Headbangers Ball tour. Oh yeah, yep. Um, so that was nineteen fucking years ago, right? Is my math some right? Of the, some of the footage from that shit is hysterical. Like, oh yeah, dude. <laughs> like it, and it's been like that ever, you know, ever since. And it's like. I know when we hit the road with you guys, there's just going to be no issue. Yeah. It's not going to be like, is this person going to act crazy? And or, do we have to get to know this person? And this person's going to be weird or, or, you know, no, is there going to be a fucking prima donna dick? Yeah. You know, yeah. like, no, it's not going to happen. We already know it's going to be mellow. We already know the shows are going to be killer. You and know? what's different about this too, which I love, because I haven't really seen this before. You know, the you rotating get openers. Yeah, it's like you. That's incredible, dude. When I saw, first of all, I'm a huge Baroness fan. So as soon as I saw that name, I was like, "Yo, Baroness, love that dude." His voice is just like, "Oh, I wish I could sing like yeah. that." But the amount of diversity that's happening in the flipping and the rotating, like to me as the guy on tour, I'm stoked because it really breaks it up and it makes me want to go out and check out the bands. It, you know, dude, exactly. <laughs> Cause like as as the as the we're the only two bands that are on the whole run, right? right? Kill Switch and, and Lamb. So um, we're gonna be able to and and you know I have bands that I've toured with that I watch every fucking night, you know, um, like Haybreed for instance. I've toured with them a million times. I'll watch them every night at least part of their set. I got I got to see the cavemen do their thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Shout out Josta, we love you. I know, love that dude. Um, but like, it's going to be really cool because we've never done a tour like this to have like, okay, the tour's different now. Yeah. And we get to watch some different people every night. You know, I love it. And it just, it really, and the diversity, that's another thing too. I got to yeah. say the, the bands are not, they're not all like strict, like metal. It's, it's diverse. I was so, I was super stoked when I saw that, man. Yeah. I'm super stoked on that shit. I know the, um, like, I, I know the animals, his leaders, dudes, like Javier, he's rad. Do you know those cats? No, I don't know them, but I know their music. And Tosin, they're, they're so super talented. cool dudes. Ridiculous. Javier's dope. You're going to love him. He's a funny motherfucker. Um, the uh, Spirit Box, we actually just did a festival in Wisconsin where their dressing room was next to ours, and I thought it was ours, and I accidentally wandered in, and I forgot that they were um, – that they were on i didn't know that they were playing this festival and i kind of wandered in and i was like oh hey i was like hey you're the spirit we're doing shows together i met them they're super nice they seem like super uh -huh. chill people we're doing I, like i a, played a festival in malta with them and they were lovely people and a fucking incredible live band really really yeah, good live stoked on that um and then uh baroness we know you know um we toured with them they had some different members but um we know basically great dude um 
looking forward to that. It's going to, it's just going to be uh, and fit for an autopsy. It's, it's pretty interesting because on the last tour I got COVID um, and had to miss like three shows. Uh, one show we just wound up canceling. My voice was gone, dude. Um, by the way, people are like, COVID doesn't really allow that. Fuck you. I'm a singer, right? <laughs> like there, the people look at me because I'll still wear a mask in the fucking store. You know, yeah. I'm just waiting for some motherfucker to say some dumb shit to me. Like, it, like, why are you still wearing a mask, bro? It's a flu. You And I'm going to be like, you fucking tool. What do you do for a living? You know what yeah. I do for a living? I go out and I sing. And... <laughs> I've had it before and my throat went. So yeah. if I can't do that, a whole lot of people, by the way, we employ people, a whole yeah. lot of people are not going to make their living, you know, because like, I'm a dumb motherfucker who's like, I don't, it's just a fucking flu. Fuck you. Come to a Lamb of God show. You get on stage and do what I do with just a flu. Eat a dick. You know what I'm saying? So like, <laughs> you know, it's funny you say that because I wear before COVID, I wear a mask on planes. I wear a mask on the tour bus when I sleep because I don't want to catch a cold, period. Dude, so I'm that guy in the airport. We live in a germ box. Yeah, I, I did that I mean? years years before COVID. And I always get looks on the plane. I'm like, I'm like, singer, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Have you ever been to Japan? They all wear you know, masks. The first right. time I went to Japan, we could take a page out of their fucking book. The yeah. first time I went to Japan, we were in Tokyo and we went in the subway, right? And our translator is Naoko. She, you've probably used her. She yeah. does she, attractive Japanese woman. Very nice. Uh, she she travels with bands over there. We haven't um, worked with her. I've definitely heard of her. But we haven't worked with her. But I know yeah, her. she's super cool. But we were in the subway in Tokyo. And uh, it was my first time in Japan. And I was fucking pumped. And like, I saw all these people with masks on. And I'd seen it on TV, you know, like Asian people wearing masks or whatever. So I asked Naoko. I'm like, Naoko why do all these people have masks on? Are, is, is, are, like, are we in a country of hypochondriacs? Like, are they scared of germs? Like what, the, I mean, I know Japan's clean, but what the fuck? And she looked at me and she's like laughing. She's like, no, they're not scared of germs. These people have a cold. They're being responsible. They're trying to protect other people around them. They don't want to get other people sick. And I was like, ding, ding, ding. Who would have thought about that? You know, d doing something for the benefit of others. You yeah, know? that's the culture um, over there. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the concept of wa, the Japanese have a concept called wa, which means the harmony of the whole for the greater good. And Japan, once again, not a perfect country, um, but there's things we could learn from it. You know, for the, part of their culture, they also have a saying that says, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down, meaning like, people like me and you like we stick out you know around and find out <laughs> yeah so like i'm not such a big fan of that but i am a big fan of like because there are so many people on a small island they've learned how to live in harmony with each other and that is you know foremost in their in their consciousness is like i need to benefit the whole so you know, ever since our first trip to Japan and the mask, I was like, that's really fucking cool. So when, when COVID came here, I was just like, yeah, I'll wear a fucking mask. And, you know, I see it in Asia all the time. It's not a big fucking deal. You know? Right. So if you, if you see us on tour and we're donning a mask, you'll yeah. know why it's, it's and, about... <laughs> and we're going to have to see what happens with the monkey box. 
Yeah. Oh, please. I know. Ugh. It's, it's, it's going to come. It's coming, dude. It's coming. And you know what? People are going to take it more serious than they did COVID. Hmm. You, you know why? Because they're going to have this fucking disgusting shit all over their face. If COVID gave you like the most brutal case of acne ever, it'd be over. It would be done. You yeah. know? Like, Ugh, let's let's not even go there, please. Just <laughs> <laughs> sank. Uh, so, so that all that being said, you know these shows. Hopefully, everything goes as planned. Are going to be incredible. We're going to get a diverse lineup. Um, I'm extremely honored and excited. When the offer came through, us and the boys were like, no brainer. Like, yes, totally. Yeah. And the cool thing is, we just started writing a new record. We're demoing, and I'm going to see those boys for the first time uh, in since. 2001 we're actually gonna be in the same room jamming together on new shit which we haven't done 2001 was it a live stream 2001 think back 2001 way back when we started as a band we used to jam in a room write songs together we've had wait oh you're talking about actually writing a record like the old school way right so those those guys did it without me um uh, a couple months ago and I'm, in August, I'm going down there. We're all going to be in a jam room working on demos, which we've never, it's usually just email, get sent. I yeah. write, get to the studio, write a song, write a record, but right. we're actually going to be in the same room for like a week jamming on stuff. I'm working on demos to bring like, it's totally. Dude, yeah. Dope. That's how, that's how we've been doing it. Um, like the energy for a while, like Lamb of God, there's a few records and you can really tell the difference um, where the, the, the email, I'm going to email you a riff and you're going to email me about a riff back or I'm going to email you a song I have set up. There's a couple of records that I think are definitely not as good as some of the other ones because that's how they were primarily wrote. Right. And I think the magic happens in my band in the writing process because there's there's three people that write the music in Lamb of God, right? That's the way it's always been. There's Mark and Willie and me, right? I don't, I, I've only ever written one riff on a record, you know, but I got it. And by writing it, I meant I hum it to Mark. I'm like, play this, <laughs> you know what I mean? But he did it. I, I can't play guitar. So I have a riff. It's, it's a chorus of Resurrection Man, by the way, very proud of it. Um, but the, the writing process, it, it, it best happens in my band when those two dudes are in a room together, when we're all in a room together mm-hmm. and they're, they take each other's wrists and they change them and go back and forth. And there's that live energy that like we were talking about when you live with Sage Francis, you're together and there's this creative nexus. That's when shit gets really good. It right. can't be replicated via file sharing. You know what I mean? It can't be replicated by like, Here's the chorus, you know, and you open your fucking Dropbox file or whatever. There's a magic that happens when you are an actual band in a room together doing the band thing. And our record, we have a record coming out. I got it. Otherwise, Manjul will kill me too. We have a record coming out called Omens uh, while we're on tour. I think it comes out in October, October 7th or something. We recorded, we did every song on that record live. in a studio in henson studios i was in a vocal booth except for one song i can't remember which one it was but one song we didn't get to it but everybody played all the music together and i sang along live and some and at least most of the time the drums those are all like full takes 
on this upcoming record. So there's that live energy, you know, it's something and nobody makes records like that anymore. No, yeah, nobody right. does. So whereas that used to be the only way to make a record. So you have to actually be musicians. You have to leave, have to actually be artists and go through that process together. Um, and I'm super stoked to hear that you guys are doing that and getting in a room together. Cause yeah. like, I think for me, like the big thing is like, I'll write something as I'm in the studio and I haven't even really learned it. You know, it's like, you're kind of putting it on a record and then like, you got to rehearse it. So the mm -hmm. idea of me demoing and then jamming it and working it out and learning it. And then when I go to record it, like I've been jamming on it like that. Yes. I've never done that really. It's always been about, I'm sitting in a room and Adam's like, all right, do this part. And it's like, I can't get it right. Cause I'm writing it on the spot and I do it 40 times. And then we find, Oh, this take seems decent. It's like, ah, that that way of writing a record, it might, in the grand scheme of things, work because everyone can't be together because we all live in different places. But right. it stifles the creativity and the vibe and the all that shit. So yeah, right. You're gonna you're it gives being in a room together. You just get that feeling, and you guys are a fucking unit, man. You're a family, like, and you know, just as my band is, and it, it, that that i don't know any other way to to describe it, but the magic happens when you're yeah. all together it's like live we do that and i've got bad news for you uh, by the way just because you do this doesn't mean that you still aren't going to have to learn how to do it live no, no, <laughs> yeah, totally. it's like they're like do you guys rehearse do you and like no dude we we write records and then go on tour and learn how to play what we've written <laughs> you know no, no it's still yeah. gonna happen it's always a learning curve for me is you know yeah. being a vocalist and having to do the melodic and then the the screaming it's like it, it it's kind of a pain in the ass but you know does that, me, does that like it, on tour is that like the most brutal like it fries yes. your voice going to going to regular singing after ah! Because well yes and that that's why technique is so important so I become a technique right. I study I warm up I'm constantly evolving as a vocalist right um, as a matter of fact uh, the singer of uh, Fit for an Autopsy already reached out to me and was like hey stoked to tour with you I was like hey uh, I'm learning you know different techniques I'm really interested I want to pick your brain about how you go the lows and like so I'm now in my older age I'm looking at younger singers going oh I like what they do how do you do that let's talk technique right. which I would never like that when I was younger I was like no oh. no no by the way speaking of them shout out to Joe the yeah. singer of fit for an autopsy because on the when I had to cancel those shows before I got yeah. all excited and told everybody to go fuck themselves when I mentioned COVID <laughs> uh <laughs> we had our buddy Mark from Chimera come yeah. and do a show on the fly he's kind of in retirement you know what I yes. mean um, and then the next day he got excruciatingly sick, went to the hospital. So he couldn't do it. So we had to cancel one. And then, um, I was talking to them. It was really fucked up, dude, because I got COVID and I got a rental car immediately, like separated myself from the band. Right. We were in the middle of fucking nowhere, like Illinois. And I was in the back lounge. I texted them. I'm like, I have COVID. I have COVID. Everybody get off the fucking bus now, 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 like, right. And I got all my shit and left the bus and went to a hotel room. And I should have just sat still in this place. But like, I was like, maybe I'll, I'll get over it tomorrow, you know, um, <laughs> like an idiot. So I got a rental car. And by rental car, the only rental car available is this huge uh, F-150, like this massive, like massive redneck pickup truck. <laughs> And I drove that following the tour for a few days in this insane COVID haze through like 
dirt roads in Indiana and shit. Like my GPS took me a really weird way. It was strange. I was like listening to old school country, driving in these fields, like all COVID it out. But after Mark Hunter couldn't do the next show, I was like, I'd, I had given them a list of dudes who I thought could do, do my job. Um, and uh, shout out to Howard. He wasn't available. I, don't, I think maybe I brought you up. At, um, I don't know if they reached out to you or not either. Um, but we had already previously, we had already previously talked to Howard yeah. about, uh, about filling in for me. We had uh, replacements lined up for everyone in case someone got sick. But I was, I had put fit for an autopsy down on, and um, it was like their singer. I didn't know him at the time. I, I know their guitar player because I worked with him as a producer, Will Putney. Um, but I was like, yeah, their singer can can do what I do, and he showed up on like zero notice, basically, and filled in for me. So shout out to Joe from Fit for an Autopsy. Thanks for covering my ass. And yeah. um, dude's a beast. And, he sounds great. Yeah, great and vocal. and. He's going to have to join us on stage a time or two on tour and, and sing oh, yeah. a little Lamb of God with us, you know? I love it. Yeah, man. Excited for the tour. Excited to hear the new record. And I really love that you added some of those melodic vocals into the stuff and the, you know, sort of the talking part. It's a, I love where you guys are going with. I can't wait to hear it. Knowing the, that you guys did this live, which I did know that already. To me, it just, it signifies something, you know, you guys doing that and showing younger bands, showing all of us like this can be done. Let's get back to making rock and roll style stuff. Yes. Man. Love that. Like, yeah, man. And, and like, I mean, dude, there's, that's the thing, man. There's like, there are guys in their, you know, closet with their YouTube rig or, or in their garage who can out sing either fucking one of us. Oh yeah. Absolutely. There is no that's doubt true. about it, man. They, they, like they have more There's talent. Children that can sing better than me. <laughs> and, they're, and they're little pinky than either of us. Yeah. But the, but the difference is, is like, I think one of the main requirements to be a front man, a good front man, actually the only requirement probably, I mean, you got to have some talent is a willingness to get up in front of people and make an idiot out of yourself and be really bad for a while until you become good, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was a horrible, horrible front. Yeah, I know that very well. <laughs> the worst, the worst, dude. And so like these people with all this natural talent, it doesn't fucking matter unless you can get in front of people and do it. And you have to do it with a group of people. You know, you have to feel that, that bond, you know, you have to deliver um and so yeah i'm super stoked that, that you guys are going to get in the room together and i, I think it's going to benefit your band greatly i look forward to hearing it you know yeah and it's cool because the only thing that breaks up that process is this tour so it's like we're jamming we're demoing we go on tour which you get that vibe that energy of the live experience and roll back into doing this again so it's yeah man perfect segue of like writing a record touring with lamb of god going back to writing that's my schedule coming up and i'm stoked. you know what also um we one thing we've changed with the way we write records is we used to do like a writing sort of pre-production session and we would do it all in one session right like okay we're gonna we're gonna write this new record we're gonna do pre-production and we would get together and our producer josh would come to richmond for a fucking month and we'd write a record and now we discovered um not with this last record, Omens, but with the record before it, uh, the self-titled Lamb of God record, 
we broke up the writing sessions like the, Josh and Mark and Willie and everybody would get together for like a week or two and do two or three songs and then split and then a few months later come back and that way it gives you perspective on what you've already written you have some some space from it you know what I mean and and um you guys doing that I think you know you guys are going to get together in, in a room and jam and write your shit and then go on tour and you'll come back and the next time you're in a room together and you work on those songs again you're going to have perspective on what you've written and you'll be able to either say okay this is really cool or be this ain't so cool or see how can we we can make this really cool by doing this yeah, yeah. You know? i'm stoked on all that brother and i think that's a great point it's all about switching up what you've been doing and i think for bands like you know lamb of god and kill switch like it's good to switch it up you know you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again you know no it, it works for acdc but you know not for us we got to switch it up a little bit yeah man <laughs> Well, it must be nice as well, just being able to get back out and play shows again. You know, you're, you're writing new music, you're playing shows. It seems like life is back in full effect, dare we, yeah, dare, our, dare we say we, it. <laughs> dude, we, you know, we wrote, we started writing and recording. We started writing in pre-production last year. We recorded in like January and February and... Uh, we did a cruise and we did the Megadeth tour and we're, I leave for Europe in like how many days, seven, like seven days or something and then come home for a few weeks and then go with you guys and then um, go back out, back to Europe. We're, we're busy until December 23rd. So like we're making up for lost time because you know no touring during the pandemic like i said it's time to sell some black t-shirts you know <laughs> but, that's the mic drop right there <laughs> I, I was i was stoked to i, I got i made a, a time to go for a week to ecuador and my chick you know and and like i said the, there's a film on my um instagram account like a five and a half minute film i made about my project there so that was a really nice break i got to go down there and do a lot of filming and walk the land for the first time you know, over two years after I bought it uh, and did a little surfing too, you know, not going to lie. It's, it's good shit too. Got to take time for ourselves, you know? Dude, I love it. Thank you for coming on. Um, and honestly, thank you for what you're doing. It's inspiring, truly inspiring. Uh -huh. After watching that video, I was stoked and just hearing you talk about it and, and the bigger vision for all of us. That's what it's all about, brother. That's yeah, like we, life goals type shit. We all, you know, that's a long-term life goal of mine and like when i croak <coughs> um that land i'm gonna have it so that it's under protected status legally you know so it's always going to be there um i think i'm going to try and figure out a way legally to deed it back to the community the surrounding community and, and have it though under a conservation status you know because there's a a lot of efforts going on down in ecuador right now uh, as far as that especially by the indigenous people um there's a lot of oil mining and stuff in, in in their region of the amazon the land i got is not in the amazon that's that's further inland but there's a there's a lot of um indigenous led conservation and uh, efforts going on right there and it's one that you know some people are like a buddy of mine who's like he he saw that thing and he's like so you're not just like you're not going to like do anything else with the land. I'm like, no, you know, I'm gonna do some small, like sustainable farming for, for locals and stuff. You're just not, you're not going to like 
develop it? I'm like, no. He's like, why? And I'm like, because the world needs jungle, bro. We need air. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's the whole point. And some people don't understand that, I guess, but we well, all you know, need to. You're setting a great example for many people, you know, and I think, I think, beautiful I think everybody can make efforts in their own way. I'm in a, you know, not everybody can do a cameo, you know, because not, I mean, I suppose everybody could, but like, not everybody's going to be able to make money to do that. I'm fortunate because of, of, of uh, my job, you know, because the band and, and, and uh, the opportunities it's provided me, I've been fortunate enough so that I can do that. And that being said, I think everybody can make their own efforts, you know, in their own life to do even just little things, you know, to help conserve the environment, just little things, you know, don't yeah. use so much fucking plastic, you yeah. know, um, don't drive your car a block and a half to 7-Eleven. Fucking walk. You know what I mean? Like, don't don't consume so mindlessly just because something is bright, new, and shiny. You know, we're all guilty of it, me included. But like, question, make question yourself. Why am I doing this? Is this doing more good or more harm to the world? That's what I'm the, the hard questions I'm, I'm trying to learn how to ask myself. Love it. I think that's a great way to end it right there, brother. Thank you so yeah, much. Yeah, man. Thank you guys on. so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. And that's the great thing about having a good conversations with good people. That's what this is all about. It's never, ever been about, you know, um, promoting something particularly. But the fact that we get to have this great conversation and then continue to promote a tour and promote the record, like that's yeah, the management's going to be stoked. I'm going to have yeah. to text. Look at text our sound bites. Right <laughs> By the way, I slipped in uh, the new record <laughs> and the tour. Oh, yeah. And and uh we got a single coming out thursday i don't even know if this will air by then probably not so it'll, it'll, be, it'll be it'll be out there in the world so what's the name of it it'll be out there omens the title track comes out this thursday i believe the 28th so love it, got it. have a great tour gents have loads of fun. fun yeah man and i will see you uh at fucking coney island we're gonna kick it off at a really cool spot hell yeah my friend appreciate it love it and uh take care of yourself until then and we'll see you soon man what's up guys Cheers, Randy. Take Peace. care. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.